What's going on, everybody? Thanks for tuning in to NBA Stories. I'm your host, Nick Nasby. And I was I was inspired this weekend. I didn't do jack shit. There was a hurricane that was supposed to come here. It never came here. It wasn't even a hurricane. It turned into a tropical storm. But I sat on my ass and hoped my power didn't go out. And I waited because basketball's back, baby. We're fucking back. No more of this COVID stuff. You know, Rudy, dirty boy, Gobert is uh he's he's no his his effects are no longer seen throughout the NBA world and and I want to talk about that and I have a couple good subjects for you guys here today. You know, I actually had a couple listeners who who reached out and, and and gave me some subjects to use and they were good and I'm actually stoked to use them. And I'm here not by myself. I I find that I am not funny or entertaining enough to talk to myself. It doesn't work for me. So I'm here with the co-hosts of the Mark and Graham podcast. You guys have probably heard them before if you listen to this show. I'm here with Logan and Mark. Logan, how are you doing? I heard you lost your virginity this weekend. Congratulations. <laughs> uh, that is not true. Um, first of all, how I don't really sorry. I, you kind of just put me on the spot there. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Uh, things have been pretty good. NBA's back. Games have been super exciting. Um, minimal defense being played per usual. So it's nice to see James Harden score 50 points every night. Besides that, everything's been doing good. Me and Mark shot a new episode this week. So if you're listening to this, go on YouTube and look up at Mark and Graham podcast and watch our new episode. Uh, but besides that, I'm pretty good. Mark, how you doing, bud? I'm good. I'm sitting here right now. I got, it's crazy. It's like, we didn't have any sports and now I'm flipping through like four different channels watching baseball, basketball, just trying to get a hold of everything right now. And I swear these the NBA bubble just I'm amazed at how good it looks right now. Everything sometimes I forget that we're even in a bubble because they have the artificial sounds that sound so much better than MLB. They actually factor in booze. Um and then all <laughs> these games all these games have been so close lately. Like they happen. I, I was watching the the Nuggets game earlier. It goes to overtime against the Thunder. Just uh, close games on opening night between the Lakers and Clippers, and then Lakers and Raptors the other night. Really want to get into that game because Nick Nurse, whatever he's doing with that team, I know. I did not think they were going to be yeah, title they... contenders, and I'm having a hard time convincing myself that they're not going to win the East again. I think it's. I mean, I can't even. Re- I I didn't watch that game. So I didn't watch that game, but because it's like, here, here's the thing. They started with DeRozan and he wasn't a winner. And then they got Kawhi, who is a certifiable champion. And now they have Pascal Siakam, who is probably the fastest rising star, in my opinion, at least since, I don't know, maybe like Danny Granger, something like that, where he's just been so improving every year. And Nick Nurse is behind this. He really is. He's got Kyle Lowry playing at a level that he hasn't played at in fucking ever. You know, I think that he's he's brought the best out of his team. And it's really important for me as an NBA fan to say that I think that Nick Nurse kind of got robbed for coach of the year this year. I really do. If, I beg to differ. If I beg to I, differ. I, I, okay. And that's cool. We'll, we'll, we'll definitely get into that. For anybody who's listening, this is the day after or the day of whatever. It Very recently, it came to fruition 
that the co-coaches of the year are going to be Billy Donovan and Budenholzer from from the Bucks. Which I go, I I I like those picks. They're not bad picks. I, I think that Billy Donovan's done very good work with this Thunder team. Very similarly, Logan, to what the Raptors are doing in the East, he's doing in Oklahoma City. But he also has a Hall of Fame point guard at point guard. So I mean, that's that's another thing to pay attention to. Obviously, so do the Raptors, but it's not Chris Paul. So. I think that Nick Nurse deserves some looks there, but I, I I don't disagree. I just think that he he was one vote away from being from tying it three ways. So I think that says a lot about how good of a job he's doing in Toronto. But Logan, so um, it sounds like correct me if I'm wrong here. You were you you're like real high on the Billy Donovan bandwagon here, huh? Yeah. So previously on the Mark and Grant podcast, me and Mark spoke about who we think would win Coach of the Year. First of all, I don't like this co-coach of the year bullcrap. I, I think you should give it to one coach. But besides that, yes, if I had to say one thing, if I was going to do co-coach of the year, yes, then you should give it to Nick Nurse and Billy Donovan. You look at this Raptors team, you look at their lineup, there's talent all through that lineup, Nick. You look at the Thunder lineup, you know, before the season started, we're thinking to ourselves, all right, like, we're going to find the Thunder in like the same area as we find the Suns every year. But no, this Thunder team is 40 and 24, currently tied with the Houston Rockets, who have Russell Westbrook and James Harden. And, you know, if, if there's really no, there's really no argument here. I think Billy Donovan should be the sole winner of Coach of the Year. I love Nick Nurse. I, I, I love what he does with the team, but there's talent on that team. Can we all agree at least that Budenholzer shouldn't be there? Yes. I don't think he should be I think there. that's fair statement. I think that I think if it's going to be co-coaches of the year, it should be Billy Donovan and Nick Nurse. God damn it. If I, had, if I was an NBA coach and I had Giannis on my it's, team, I wouldn't I mean, I think it's, the year. I think it's fair. Fair enough. I mean, he doesn't just have Giannis. He's got Chris Middleton, who's an all-star. He's got Eric Bledsoe, who's usually a fringe all-star. Not really, but you know, he's a very high-level starter. He's got both Lopez twins playing at a very high level. And I think this bubble has really reminded me about how good Brooke is because he had, he had like seven blocks against, who was it? Who, who did they play? Against the Celtics. Yeah, he had seven blocks against the Celtics. Like he was the reason, he was a big reason why Jason Tatum sucked dick that game. He, he was altering every shot that went, went his way. And he's shooting threes. And Robin's fucking shooting threes now. Do you guys play Grand yeah. Theft Auto? You ever play GTA 5, the new one? Does Robin not remind you like a little bit of Trevor? Like just a little bit? Not at all. What do you mean? I mean like, <laughs> compare, just think about it. Like the the way I he mean, looks, like, like he's like cr- a crazy version. <laughs> he's he's like he's like the Wario to Brooke Lopez's Mario. He's the he's like the antithesis. Like one of them's crazy and unhinged. One of them seems like he's reserved and like does his taxes three months early. You forget how long the Lopez twins have been in the league. Like Lopez was on the New Jersey Nets. Like one of the most like the one of the most embarrassing New Jersey Nets teams in NBA history. I think he's the all time leading scorer on the Nets, right, Mark? I think we talked about that on one of the episodes. Yes, I, I believe I, he, I think is. he is. I think he is. Now I just for my take on on Coach of the Year, I think you guys like the, the focus of the conversation more so on Nick Nurse not getting it, and Billy Donovan is unquestionably deserving. I think it more needs to be placed the conversation in why is it Budenholzer because. Personally, I just I look at it like I'm not saying his teams were as stacked as Steve Kerr's Warriors, but Steve Kerr only won one coach of the year. And now Budenholzer is getting back to back with the best player in the NBA on his team with Giannis. 
it shouldn't so be. I, that I just don't see it. No, I think I have to uh, say Nick Nurse was deserving. I, I think that Budenholzer gets a lot of looks for two reasons. One, because he's a pop umbrella guy. Like he he coached under Popovich. And two, I think it's also because of the Hawks years. I think that people look at him more because of the Hawks years and like what he did in Atlanta when he really didn't have a ton of talent on that team and they won 65 or whatever games. So I, I think that he gets yeah, more he looks won- there, but now he's on a team that's stacked and it's really not the same situation. So obviously they're going to win a whole bunch. You have the best player in, in the world on your team. Exactly. And he won it in 2014-15 with the Hawks. So I just think there was, there was a stacked field this year. There's no question about it. There were even two guys that nobody mentioned in um eric spolstra is one that i'm big on um but the issue with him was he he was at the top of the east for a while there in the beginning of the year and they kind of fell off into that middle tier and i think that's why he fell out of the race but even jenkins taylor jenkins with memphis like that's a guy coaching a very very young and not all that talented yet they're very raw and he has them right in the playoff picture right now so, i mean I, I- I got to totally agree with what Mark is saying here. And I think that if Billy Donovan didn't get it, I would have been even more pissed because, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, either of you, but I don't think the coach of the year should be a coach that has a superstar on their team that obviously is scoring 25 plus a game, averaging over five plus assists with almost 10 rebounds. I think the coach of the year should be a a coach that takes – an all-star list team to the playoffs. And you could see that. And again, that's why I think that you could make the argument for Nick Nurse because he doesn't have that all-star. He has, he has Pascal, uh, Pascal Siakam, who, who's a rising all-star. He's got great talent, and they, and they have a good group. But correct me if I'm wrong here. Do you guys think that we they should stop awarding Coach of the Year to coaches that have these superstars on their teams? I also think you're in just about every sport, Coach of the Year beca- became too much of a flashy pick. And it, this was something that, that bothered me in the NFL when Sean McVay won it because there were – I remember that year there were very deserving candidates and Sean McVay was going like viral every single week for memorizing the playbook and having a photographic memory. And if you remember that year, like the yeah. Rams were good, but they fell off at the end of the season big time. Like there's just there's other names out there when it comes to coaching that sometimes there's candidates that don't even make the playoffs who are deserving. You know, in all sports. And I, I just think it's it's a flashy pick. The the Bucks had such a ridiculous record when the season ended that it was easy to say, Oh, we have to credit Boonholter. But I felt like this year there were a lot of better candidates. I like the Taylor Jenkins look too. That that's kind of who I was thinking. Also, you can even make you can usually make a case for Doc Rivers. Doc Rivers was a better case last year, but T- Taylor Jenkins really did a lot with a with a small amount of talent. But I think also because one his team is an eight seed, just like you're saying, like it's it's not they're not fantastic. They're definitely like good, but they're not fantastic. Two, you're not going to get all, the most recognition in Memphis. It's not the biggest of markets. And, and three, I think that he has more talent on that team than people are privy to. I think that the John ja Morant, Triple J connection is going to be huge for the next like 10 years if they stay together. I, I, I really, I don't want to, I don't know if I'm opening up a can of worms here, but I kind of want to open up a can of worms here. I will be fucking enraged 
if the NBA decides to give Zion Rookie of the Year over Ja Morant. They won't. I will they won't. fucking rage. Zion, I will rage. I'm pretty sure Zion, with his game count, can be considered a rookie next year. I don't know how they oh, do it. I, I know in the MLB they do it by at-bats, but like Zion's only played four or five games. He's on a minutes cap. He hasn't done too much. He hasn't produced too much. Realistically, there's no way that they can even put him in the conversation. The only reason why he's on the ladder is because he's Zion. But if they, if he wins it, then you just know that the, you know, they're not paying attention. It is John Morant. That's just clear. He is the rookie of the year. The last two games in the bubble, 22 and nine. And you just are, yeah, I think it was like 22 and nine and 25 and 11 back to back. Assists, and he's also getting like five or six boards. The kid flies, absolutely flies. Oh, he's, he's, he's phenomenal. One of the best athletes that I've ever seen at his position, and I'm considering him in the same characteristic, or the same category as someone like a Russell Westbrook or Derrick Rose already. You know, he's 19, 20 years old. So he is the rookie of the year. And I said it last week, and I'll say it this week also. He will be the focal point of this draft. When we talk about 2019, and the draft in, in 15 years, unfortunately, I just don't see Zion having sustainability with his, with his movement, his explosion. Like it's, it's, I hate to say it, but it just doesn't seem like he can maintain this for very long, but John Morant definitely can, in my opinion, at least. So we'll see how it goes. Zion's not the rookie of the year. Uh, he does have an award winner on his team though. Cause I, I'm pretty sure Brandon Ingram almost definitely is going to win the uh, most improved player. He's out. He, I mean, he's up to 24 a game. He's he's up over 85 percent from the free throw line, shooting 39 percent from th- from three. You know where he last year even he was at 32 and shooting below 70 percent from from uh, free throw line and, and three. So, I mean that that's one to pay attention to. I love that dynamic in New Orleans. I don't think they have it yet because Lonzo's a piece of shit. And he's not good at basketball, but. Uh, <laughs> you know, I think Alvin Gentry is a good guy to be at the helm for that too. So based on the other thing I'm thinking, the games I've been watching in the bubble so far is I can't help but see all the young talent in the league. I'm trying to convince myself whether the bubble is going to play to the advantage of the powerhouses, the Lakers and the Clippers. Is it just going to be who comes out of the Western Conference Finals that wins it all? Or are we going to see a really young team who's had time to rest really is going to be able to recover after that time off, like a Denver Nuggets team, like a Boston Celtics, like even we could be seeing runs out of teams like the Blazers if they get in the playoff picture with Nurkic back. If they can somehow get an eight seed, we know that a healthy Blazers is not an eight seed, even if they are, are on paper. Terrifying idea. A healthy Blazers team is very scary. I'm a large, I'm a very, very large advocate of McCollum and Damian Lillard. I think they are top two backcourt in the NBA easily. I think they're amazing. And I and I think with Nurkic, you know, having his little coming out party and doing everything he's been doing, this Blazers team is fucking dangerous. So I'm going to piggyback off what Mark says. Watch out for this Blazers team. I agree. I 100% agree. I think that the biggest issue that's been holding back the Blazers for so long is just the lack of an interior. And with Nurkic coming back, I knew Nurkic was going to be like this. I mean, from his time on the Nuggets before Jokic really came out, it was like those two guys were the same type of talent. You could see it. He's taller. He's seven feet tall. He's about 265. He's a big guy. And he's able to hold his own down low. You saw it in their last game. He gets to the basket pretty much at will. Dropped 25. He's averaging 24 in those two games 
since they've come back into the bubbles, his first two games of the season. And so we're going to see this continue because he is the predominant force down low. And you have a, a, a team or defenses that are playing against the, the Blazers that are so predominantly focused on Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum that they're not considering a down low th- threat. And if they have that down low threat, they're very dangerous in the playoffs. That's an 8-1 upset ha- waiting to happen because honestly, for the first time in a very long time, the one seed in the West is not going to be the kind of powerhouse that we're thinking about. I don't, I'm not sold on the Lakers. I'm really not. Like People are really I, high on the no, Lakers. I'm I, not sold on them. And I don't even know if they're going to get the one, but if they do, like they could lose. And they definitely are not locks to win the West. Honestly, if anyone has listened to Nick's fucking podcast and they understand how many times I fucking disagree with this guy, what he's saying is spot on. I do not trust this Lakers team. Breaking news, Logan and Nick are actually agreeing on something. (laughs) I do not trust the Lakers. I am telling you, I think this Clippers team is so talented. I think the trio of Kawhi, Paul George, and Montrezl Harrell is the best trio in the NBA. Besides the Clippers winning, if I am going to find something – Interesting besides them. I think this Eastern Conference playoffs are going to be super interesting for the sole fact that you have a lot of young talent coming out of Boston. You always have Philadelphia as a contender right now. Uh, The Raptors are playing championship basketball. The East is getting much better. And I think in a few years, you're going to start seeing the Eastern Conference leveling out with the Western Conference. See, everyone says that all the time. And Mark, you might be able no, to, no. to agree with me on this, but it always happens that there's like four or five good teams in the East and then six through eight are always under 500. It's just how far under yes. 500 are they going to be? Now, the question that I got to ask you guys is two questions pertaining to the West. Because one is so far in the bubble, there's one team that everyone has said has looked by far the best and had rest help them out the most and the quarantine helped them out the most, the and that's the Houston Rockets. The Rockets. <laughs> the Houston Rockets have looked fucking great so far. I, my question is, what do you guys think? Is that a team that's going to be able to stand up to the big dogs? They haven't been able to do it, but D'Antoni is there year after year, and will this finally be the chance that Harden can fly under the radar with Russ and make some noise? I don't know, because... First off, I'm not a fan of this small ball lineup they're playing. And I think that losing Clint Capella was huge for the Rockets because if you watched that Bucks rockets game, Giannis absolutely manhandled them. On drives in, he would put his shoulder down and ones, this and that. You know, Harden could score as much as Harden wants. Harden can go to the free throw line as much as Harden wants. You know, Russell could drive in as much as he wants. He could score as much as he wants. But if you don't have a solid front court, especially in the bubble where everyone's healthy, everyone's feeling strong, everyone's been losing weight, everyone's been feeling great, that run, that was kind of funny. I, I, just, I just don't see the Rockets being able to go seven games with Anthony Davis or seven games with Giannis or seven games with Nikola Jokic. You know, you look at the West and there are some solid big men Start to start to bottom. Same with the East. So to answer your question, no, I do not think the Rockets are going to win. I think they have a shot at making the Western Conference Finals. But at the end, I think the X Factor is really going to be having that big man in your lineup, Nick. So I, I could say that 
I don't believe that the Rockets are going to do anything, but like they do look really good, Mark. Like they really look good. I just, I don't trust D'Antoni. I didn't trust him when he was on the Suns. Um, when he was on the Knicks, I fucking didn't trust him, obviously, because he, he was garbage with them. <laughs> and I don't trust him now. It's because he has a mentality that wins games in the regular season. But when a team is focused on you for seven consecutive games, potentially, I feel like they're able to figure it out. I can't see a 6'5 center winning a championship. But at the end of the day, I didn't see a 6'5 center and a team with a 6'5 center winning like fucking 50 games in the in the regular season. So who knows? I really don't. Here's honestly, when I think of Mike D'Antoni and Nick, when the way you just said this really, really like wanted me to make this comparison, the way he coaches almost reminds me of Rick Carlisle in 1989 when coaching Michael Jordan, how it was always put the ball in Michael's hands. It's always put the ball in James's hands. He, he coaches Michael, he coached Michael to win scoring titles and MVP. And that's the way I see Mike D'Antoni coaching James Harden. Wrong? Correct? I mean, you have to. Well, how, you don't have to. Yeah, though. you do. Phil Jackson proved you don't have to do that. Phil Jackson was the best at catering to stars. I mean, he, he had a Michael. Not, yeah, well, you have to look at his time on the Bulls. Like, he didn't need to cater to Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan was a self-motivator, the best one probably ever. You know, he catered more to Scotty because Scotty was a little bit more sensitive. But when you're looking at Phil Jackson and you want to talk about how he treats stars, like you have to look at his time on the Lakers, right? When, That's when true. Kobe, he, he, he pretty much neglected Kobe because he didn't, Kobe didn't care. And he just catered and pandered to Shaq because Shaq did care and he was, he was a big baby. Phil Jackson's really good at it. I mean, the only, the only coach that we can ever talk about who wins a whole bunch, at least in the modern day. I don't, I'm not too sure about the coaches of like yesteryear or whatever, but the modern day coaches who don't need to pander to anybody because you're just going to do what they tell you to do or else you can kind of fuck off is Popovich. It's always been Popovich. Like he, he, he is, he has a culture in San Antonio. By the way, the Spurs are playing great basketball too in the bubble. They've won both their games. I think they're playing phenomenally, and I don't even know how they do it anymore. I don't even fucking know who's on the team anymore. It's just like Popovich gets a bunch of scrubs and like one sort of star and another prior star and, and LaMarcus and DeRozan, and he just creates another good team. So we'll see. They might squeak into that eight spot. You know, good for them if they do. Mark, I mean, going back to your to your point pri- previously about the Rockets, I don't see them winning everything. I see them being a threat. I see that 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 combo with Westbrook and Harden. And to counter counteract what you were saying, Logan, Clint Capella was in the fucking way on that team. Absolutely, he was. You know, he was in the way. He yeah, but see that that's the thing though. That's be, like, it's the way that they're coached. That team had championship caliber, and I don't care what anyone says. I what you cannot win championships. With one guy who shoots 38 times a game. Yeah, he puts up 50 points, but look at his shooting percentage. Okay, he goes to the line, but still, you cannot count on someone scoring that much to, to win a title. You just can't. And I thought, and, and the, you know, maybe it's the way I think I like, I like big man basketball. And I just, when I look at a team with a big man, I just think they have an advantage. And I thought Clint Capella made them 10 times better. Yes, he did get in the way, but why? Why did he get in the way? Because he was completely counteractive to what their offensive scheme was. It's like when Shaq went to the Suns. Let me. Um, I want to hear from Mark. What, what do you think about this? Because it's been me and Logan going back and forth on this on this Rockets topic. 
What do you think about the Rockets? I mean, you asked us the question, do you think they're sustainable? Do you think they can continue this run? They have been playing very well, but do you think that they can keep doing this? See, my, my issue with them is when it comes to the playoff basketball and late in a game, final possession, I've already every single game in the bubble so far, it seems like they're coming down to the final possession. Who can get a stop and who can go down the floor the other way and gain that leverage? You're never going to be able to count on anyone on that Rockets team to lock up for a possession and guard LeBron, Kawhi Leonard, and Paul George. Like It's just not going to happen. You can make the argument that James Harden's going to be able to hit that big three in all of those moments, but how many times can that happen until you're going to need to make a stop at some point? I think that it goes back to the question of then, so is is there something that's going to hold the Lakers or Clippers back? Because both of you guys said that you don't see it with the Lakers, but my question is then what's going to hold them back? We already saw them dominate the Clippers on opening night, and it's a question of that's going to be a series that comes down to the wire, but I don't really see anybody being able to stop the LeBron-AD combination. There were possessions in that first game where – it's just classic LeBron where you say, I don't, if he goes to the hoop every single time, there's no one in this league that can stop him. If they get matched up against the Rockets, it's not even going to be close. They'll close them out in five games because exactly. there's, you don't have you don't have a Clint Capella that can stand down there and play defense at the boards. Thank um, you, Mark. Thank you, thank you, thank you. The one thing, though, with the Lakers is I could maybe see as the whole is we talk about how Clint Capella got in the way. There's a little bit of that third wheel going on I see from time to time with Kuzma, where Kyle Kuzma tries to get a little bit too involved. And, you know, (laughs) he's great. He's great at times, but it's like he he really starts to overshoot in that offense often. And, you know, he has those games where he can go 8 of 10 from the field, but at the same time I've watched him miss almost all of his shots in games. So Kyle Kuzma is somebody that's going to be crucial for them because they need him as a third wheel, but they also can't afford to have him hurting them in crucial playoff games, especially against the Clippers. I, I feel that. I mean, that's why that's why the Suns didn't work in 2006. It was too fast. It didn't work. And and the Rockets kind of were, I mean, they were the same, they were by the same token recently, but they at least had the one guy. I was always taught that if you box out appropriately, you can get a board regardless of how big you are. So if they box out, they can get boards. That's the only problem here is getting boards, right? But they don't necessarily need to block shots. They just need to make bad. They just need to make everyone take bad shots. They're playing against five out teams. I mean, I think that the their Bucks matchup was a was a bad one to talk about in regards to how good they are as a team because they're both playing five out. So you can't really see how much a, a big man can really damage them because instead of having Brooke Lopez and Robin Lopez bang it down low, they have them on the corners, you know, shooting threes. So, I mean, we'll see when it comes to the Rockets. I, I really, I don't, I don't ever like the Rockets. I always think ever since like their conception, they've been destined to be in the middle of the pack, except for Hakeem years. You know, the T-Mac and, and Yao teams were like middle of the pack at that point. Then they got like a little even worse until they got hardened and then they were back to middle of the pack. They're a four to six team. They always have been. So, I mean, we'll see if they can get out of that, but I don't, I don't see it happening anytime soon. But on another note also, just another point that I wanted to, to bring up. Holy shit, man. Where did TJ Warren come from? 
I know that I know I know you're a Sixers guy, Mark. So I'm sure you you watched that game, right? Yeah, of course. He punked Embiid like he made him look like a bitch. The entire team, but like what what was that, man? It feels like it's every single time the Sixers play anybody, they allow somebody like. Right now, they're playing the Spurs as we speak, and Rudy Gay is going off. I mean, Rudy <laughs> Gay isn't as quiet of a name as TJ Warren, but it's because they play defense like the Washington Generals. It's absurd. And, you know, it's not even Embiid's fault what happened with TJ Warren. It's guys like Simmons yeah. who need to get in his fucking face. But at the same time, though, I watched that entire game. I was so frustrated. TJ Warren was your classic example of a guy who was just in the zone. Like, he could not miss. He was unconscious from the field. And there were times where there were, like, three hands in his face. And I watched even – I forget who it was. Somebody on the Sixers – it might have been Shake Milton who was getting his first career start at point guard. He, like, played really good defense on a possession on TJ Warren. And you could just tell he had his hand right in his face. And TJ Warren, like, drained a deep two off him. Milton was just, like, so furious because there's nothing you can do in that situation when somebody is that hot and you throw a hand in his face and you're just still getting buckets on you. It was frustrating because the Pacers, like, are now ahead of us in the standings and they don't have Sabonis right now. They're extremely injured. Brogdon wasn't even playing. And you allow somebody like TJ Warren to just go the fuck off and beat a team that's supposed to compete for the Eastern Conference. I just don't see it with the Sixers right now. They don't play with any, any chemistry as talented as they are, and it's really frustrating. I mean, you have Ben Simmons moving to power forward now, and Shake Milton is your starting point guard, but at the same time, like, how are you going to tell me that Ben Simmons isn't bringing up the ball in crucial moments? Like, I just don't believe that for a second. He's got, not going to play with his back to the basket on crucial possessions in the fourth quarter of a playoff. It's funny, it's so funny to me just, that you thought that they were a contender at all at any point <laughs> like when like for what made you think that for they the were going to be a contender for the, for the east they haven't yeah but i'm saying like that's still they're still not a contender in the east either in my opinion i i by the way i mentioned and yeah, in that you, because didn't he have like 41 points still on like 20 boards or some shit like yeah, he, he, he had like a killer game but he got punked because like tj warren went off oh yeah by the way tj but tj warren they played the they played the wizards today and he put up a uh, 34 34 11 boards four assists three steals and four blocks and zero turnovers the kid's killing it he's going off i don't know is it because you're saying that the paces are hurt right now so i'm assuming it has a lot to do with the fact that he's getting a whole lot more shots yes exactly they really their lineup last night was not very good at all they had two of the holiday brothers in the starting lineup uh miles turner is obviously great and then brogdon returned today but my thing though like the sixers uh, people easily forget erase from their memory what happened last year with the Kawhi leonard shot her around the world like that that was a team that like you mean to tell me what would the sixers have gotten like the, would the sixers have made it to the finals if they win in overtime in game seven it's very possible and it's very possible they beat the Warriors they now that's a different team they had Jimmy Butler who was the best scoring option on the team in the playoffs and I really think they fucked up this offseason Al Horford I liked at the time the move but it has not worked out at all and they're clearly a worse team than they were last year but the Eastern Conference has also gotten worse so it's hard to really 
tell. Uh, I think the Eastern Conference has been getting better ever since. I, I, I feel like the Eastern Conference used to be way worse. Back that up with proof or any evidence at all because that's false. Um, <laughs> they lost Kawhi Leonard. They lost Kyrie. They lost LeBron. They lost LeBron. They have n- There's like four All-Stars. Lost Paul George. All-Stars in the West. <laughs> yeah, I, he's I left. Ah, uh, yeah. Giannis, Giannis, and Embiid, and Jimmy Butler, and, and Jimmy, and Jimmy buckets, and anybody who's on the Celtics right now. By the way, I think that's something that we should mention is uh, the Heat are are they're not looking terrible. You know, I like the Heat. I think that they're a contender for the East. I think that if the Sixers are a contender, then the Heat are a contender because the I don't see the Sixers being like very good. I, I'm just never sold well, on them. Nick, I just don't know. I don't. I don't think they're a good team. <laughs> well, Nick, to to piggyback off of that, um, on the Mark and Graham podcast, we made our finals predictions along with the awards that we mentioned earlier. And my finals prediction is Miami Heat, L.A. Lakers final. Wow. So really I'm big in. I'm all in on the Heat. I think Spolstra was my dark horse coach of the year pick. And I love what he's done with that rookie class. Uh, Jimmy Butler, I watched every single playoff game when he was with the Sixers, and he does have, like, the rare killer mentality that few players have. There's a reason why I don't – I'm not saying this. I'm not making this comparison at all. But I heard people talking about the players in the NBA right now that mimic different parts of Jordan's game. And he was one of the names mentioned because of that mentality he has late in games. And I think you add that, the Heat roster has always, always, even after the big three left, has always been talented and well-coached by Spolstra. And now for the first time in a while, they have a star to take that final shot. They're going to be really good in the playoffs. I look like Bam. I like his name. Yes. Bam at a bio. Bam, you know. He's, dude, he's a triple-double guy, you know? He's a facilitator at 6'9". It's, it's, it's really – it's like if Bismack Biombo actually could play basketball well with uh, Bam Adebayo. He's definitely, he's definitely one, of the, one of the underrated players in the NBA. I would say not necessarily this year anymore, though. I think he was last year because he was, he was putting up numbers last year too. I think this year he's becoming more properly rated. So that's something to pay attention to. How does Bam do? How did the Heat do? Does TJ Warren keep it up? He's been doing it for two games. Uh, John Morant's shooting like shit today. As we're recording this, he's three for 15. Zion Williamson, minutes cap. Don't want to go into that because it's frustrating as all hell. But I guess I would put a minutes cap on him too if my team was like hot garbage. Because the the Pelicans are fucking garbage right now. They don't belong in that bubble. But like we'll see. I, I think that they have a good thing going on. They have a good young core. With Ingram and Lonzo for if he figures it the fuck out, and and Zion and and uh, Jackson Hayes, and maybe if JJ get a couple more years out of him, I think that that's a possibility for being a good solid core, you know, moving forward. I just don't think it's right now. I don't think that if they squeaked in that eighth speed, then it's just going to be a waste of an eighth spot because the Lakers are going to get a, a a clear a clear four game sweep to the second round because there's no there's no chance they're not on the same level right now you know i think that the the blazers can definitely hold their own with them what i was thinking about where i was really truly inspired was when i was watching tj warren hit nine threes against the sixers a couple nights ago 
talk about underrated. They he got traded for cash. Right. And I've I've been high on on TJ Warren since his time on the Suns. I thought that him and Booker were going to be they're going to be a good tandem, but they they didn't see it the same way. He looked like he was a little bit too big to be a small forward, a little bit too small to be a power forward. He wasn't a good enough shooter. He wasn't good enough bucket getter. He proved all of that wrong in just a couple of games. So we'll see if it's, this is just a hot streak. But I am of the opinion that he is a bona fide, underrated player. And so what I had Mark and Logan do, as well as myself, is that we came up with our most underrated players of all time. So we're focusing predominantly on all time, but we also wanted to throw in somebody who is a current player so we can get a feel for that. I don't like to go first, so I'm not going to go first. I'd like Mark actually to to go first. Mark, when you're thinking about the most underrated players, five most underrated players, and you were thinking about that, which names came to mind and, and why is that? When I came up with my list, I, I kind of went with tears. So I had because it's easy to say, I've heard this argument in every sport, that how can somebody be underrated if they're a Hall of Famer? It, it's still very possible. Like, if you're a Hall of Famer and you're not talked about often at all, then you're underrated and you deserve to be talked about just as much as other players. Um, and that's why uh, the first two names, and uh, honestly, possibly three of the names on my list are Hall of Famers, I believe, are going to be. And my first one is Chris Mullen. He's one of the most underrated Hall of Famers there is. He never is talked about with the all-time great shooters the way he should be when, in reality, he was as lights out as they come from three-point range. He shot a three-point percentage for his career that was like 384 that can compete with a lot, a lot of all-time greats. He was a straight bucket getter on the Golden State Warriors, and it's like even when you play 2K uh, all-time teams, he doesn't even crack the starting lineup because they're so stacked. This is a guy who's on the dream team, um, is really just an all-time great, and needs some respect on his name. Uh, another guy from The Last Dance who just shined in my eyes and you really saw the impact he had, he was the Dennis Rodman of the first three championships, and that's Horace Grant. Horace Horace that's Grant, a good one. Horace Grant was a staple and, you know, he was a double-double machine, was one of the best rebounders in the league for those three years and then went to the Magic and did the exact same thing and beat the fucking Bulls with getting carried out on the court by Shaq. So uh, Horace Grant was on, I forget how many championships exactly he has, but he won championships, I believe, with the Bulls and then goes and wins them with uh, Kobe and Shaq as well. He was on some of the greatest teams in NBA history. The Bulls, the Penny Hardaway, and Shaq Magic. And then he goes and says, oh, let me go fuck around in L.A. with Phil Jackson and the um, Kobe Shaq Lakers. So that's my pick at number two. Then I also have Rip Hamilton, who huh. was on some of the most underrated teams in NBA history, those Pistons and squads. In Just 04. really, really random here. Like honestly, in my in my mind, Richard Hamilton made face masks cool. That's all I wanted to say about Richard Hamilton. I mean, he oh, hundred percent. Cool. Just kind of made him a hundred percent necessary. He, LeBron he, made him pretty cool. 
Kobe made him pretty cool. Rip Hamilton just made him like, ooh, look at that guy wearing a face mask and shooting a mid ranger. He's great. I just don't <laughs> think he made face masks cool. I don't know. <laughs> I honestly just did that just to disagree with you, Logan. I just wanted you to know that. <laughs> oh, classic, classic Nick man. But uh, Richard Hamilton, just that was his signature look. This guy was an all time great shooter. He's all often the forgotten piece on those Pistons teams that had uh, fucking Chauncey Billups, Ben Wallace, Tayshawn Prince, and then of course Rip Hamilton, who's definitely the best shooter of the bunch. His best years, he was averaging like putting up twenty a year for almost a decade straight. Then I had on this list too Andre Iguodala, who I know. This is somebody that you guys disagree with a little bit in the pre-show, but it's somebody that has evolved throughout his career to fit a role wonderfully. And he will go down as a – I don't know that he'll be a Hall of Famer, but he's going to be in the conversation because of what he did with those Warriors teams. But he was here with Philadelphia for so long. I watched him, and you know he really suffered in Philly because the fans didn't love him. They didn't love that he wasn't – he was supposed to be the star. He was the first-round pick out of Arizona, and he was supposed to be the guy who brought us from the Allen Iverson era and carried us into a new era of basketball. And he put us in the playoffs every single year by being the star, but it wasn't enough to get us over the hump, and he got blamed for that, even though that's not his role. He goes to Golden State. He fills his role perfectly, comes in as a starter in his first couple years there and then fills that sixth man role has some of the most legendary pl- playoff moments including one that was actually very like not not good for him and of course the lebron block but blocked by did, james he did so much more for his team than just those moments and then uh last on my all-time list for here i had michael red michael mm. red is just that's my there's i always name three guys for sure. in the same area as underrated stars of that era. Michael Redd was the most healthy of the bunch, but Danny Granger and Brandon Roy were also in that same era, very underrated guys. But Michael Redd, on those Bucks teams, they struggled, but he was always an elite scorer and somebody that definitely deserves some respect. And then for my current guy, my last pick, I juggled between a couple guys. Mike Conley I love, and Andre Drummond is somebody that deserves respect, but I have to go with Drew Holiday. Drew Holiday, another sixer who went to another place. He has become a star in his own right in New Orleans. And you could argue he's going to go down as one of the greats in New Orleans Hornets Pelicans history if he stays there for long enough. This is just somebody that can score and has brought his game to a new level since leaving Philadelphia. Drew Drew Holiday has done it all, and that's, that's my pick for the most underrated guy in the game right now. I like I like how because we were talking about Vooch too, and he's also played much better since leaving Philadelphia. It's almost like that city has a curse. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's definitely another name. And I told you I was another guy who was on my list was Thaddeus yeah. Young. Oh, that's, that's a- another former sixer that has found a great role since leaving, and it was all of that same era where. They were supposed. They were an eight seed every single year. They had the year where they beat the Bulls when Derrick Rose gets injured, and then they lost to the Celtics in seven. But it, there was no star on that team to really take the next level. Yeah. It was Drew Holiday, Evan Turner, Andre Iguodala. Like it was just Thaddeus Young. They're, like they're good names, but they needed to be role players on other teams. I think they squeaked into that bottom level playoff on the East 
you know, below 500 type deal, which a lot of people do, but you know, you never know who you're going to get in that one, eight matchup in the East. Sometimes it's some pretty, pretty bad teams getting there. It's why the Bobcats made it that one time. If you remember. Yeah. I mean, I agree a lot with, with your picks. I think the, the Horace Grant picks a big one. I think that he, he does not get a lot of respect. Uh, at the same time, Iggy, I, I loved Iggy in, in Philly when he was playing with, with AI, when they were calling him the other AI. And he was averaging like 20 a game. He was playing, he was playing some high-level stuff. Good picks there. Logan, let me hear yours. Who are, who are your five most underrated players of all time? So I definitely decided to stick with 2000 and up just to, you know, just because I knew you and Mark were going to bring in some history. But I do have someone in the Hall of Fame. But I think I'm going to start out with, uh, you know, our pro-typical underrated guys. So first, I'm going to start with Jamal Crawford. Uh, he was a Nick, and I loved when he played for the Knicks. He's one of those guys that he's a journeyman, but any team that he's played for, he's had a role. Spanning from 2003 all the way to 2010, this guy averaged over 15 points a game. And he was with the Knicks. He was with Atlanta. He was with Chicago. He was with Golden State for a season. Um, definitely had a, a lot of success deep in his career at ages 32 to 36 when he played for the Clippers with the, uh, you know, he was a part of Lob City and he was a huge part of Lob City. He's never won a championship, but I think Jamal Crawford is, he he's old reliable. He's got some of the best handles in the NBA. I think he is or has one of the most signature crossovers in, in the NBA. And I think we can all say that. So yeah, I think Jamal Crawford, definitely one of the most underrated players in NBA history. Moving on to number two, Zebo Zach Randolph, one of the grittiest guys, one of the scariest guys in the NBA, six foot nine. He was your prototypical, I'm going to use my body and I'm going to win type of player. Through his years in Memphis, late in his career, when he was, you know, ages 28 to 35, he was averaging 15 points, 20 points. Uh, he was averaging uh, a double-double for a, a portion of his time in Portland where he started out his career. When he was in Portland, he was phenomenal. And people forget about that. He was averaging at one point 23 and 10 in one of his years in Portland. Uh, I don't know if you both are um, familiar with this YouTube scene, but they had him mic'd up when he was on the Kings or no, on the Grizzlies, I think. And uh, he was at the uh, free throw line getting a rebound. And DeMarcus Cousins was next to him and chirping. And they had him mic'd up. And Zebo goes, he points at DeMarcus Cousins and, and he goes, Rago, the bully. He goes, where I'm from, the bullies are bullied. And uh, I just think that summed up perfectly who Zach Randolph is and was as a player. So that's who I have next. I think people are going to be a lot or going to be a little surprised by this, but I, I'm, I'm going to go Kevin Love. I think that because he started out his career playing for the Timberwolves when he was that star player at like averaging, you know, 2020, they just didn't have much success. And I think that really hindered on what people thought about him. Um, and then when he moved to the Cavaliers, again, he was overshadowed by LeBron James. But people forget that Kevin Love was a huge part of that championship run, specifically in the last four and a half minutes of game seven. If you guys remember what I'm talking about when he played defense on Steph Curry. Yeah, I remember that. It was, yeah, it was, it was one of very out of character for him too. It's not really like very out of character, thing. exactly. And I think that uh, Kevin Love is one of those guys that you want on your team. He's a he's a leader, and he really hasn't showed like he's slowing down. You know, 
People think he's getting old. He still averaged over 15 points last season and almost 10 rebounds. At And he's only 31. So I think he has plenty of time left, and I think he's going to keep showing why he's who he is. At number four, uh, Tony Allen. Perfect example of your numbers really don't show what you've dedicated to a team. Six-time All-Defensive Player of the Year. Huge, huge role in that Celtics team that won the title. His defense was unbelievable. And I think that when he played on the uh, Memphis Grizzlies was when his defense really prospered. People literally just knew that he was going to get first-team all-defense every season. And when I think underdog that didn't have to score a lot, it was Tony Allen because you wanted him on your team because you knew he was going to produce. Now, my last one, I'm very excited to talk about this. And I know some of you are going to be like, what? He wasn't underrated. People knew he was great. Scottie Pippen. And I, I want to thank The Last Dance for really opening up my fucking eyes. Scottie Pippen had to deal with so much bullshit to finally get his recognition. Michael Jordan started it out perfectly. And I think it was in episode two of The Last Dance. He said, there's no Michael Jordan if there's no Scottie Pippen. Scottie Pippen was such a necessity to that team and was treated so effing poorly by Jerry Krause having the 156th biggest salary in in the league when you're arguably the best player in the league next to your teammate, Michael Jordan. And I think it truly showed how much he was underdogged that season where Michael Jordan wasn't in the NBA because without Michael, the Bulls were still playing fine. And the players even said that practices felt better because Scotty was that type of leader where he wasn't going to yell at you like Michael. He was going to help you learn. So those are my I know top five. I know that like you're really championing for Pippen. I totally agree that he was underrated as fuck because of who was playing next to him. But uh Scotty Pippen's not like the best guy. I don't know if you know that. Like he's kind of like a bad person. You should look it up. Yeah I look at his Wikipedia. No, no, he's I, kind I, of a piece I, of shit. I've actually I've actually heard some stuff about Scotty yeah, Pippen. He's definitely not like he's like not the nicest dude. So it's like when I I used to think the same way, especially because I listened to this podcast about him after watching The Last Dance. So I'm like, holy shit, this is such a great guy. He's such a good person. And I saw like, oh, he sued like a thousand people for a thousand different reasons. Oh, like he he like, uh, you know, for whatever. I'm not even going to go into it because he might sue me for it. So I'm just going to leave that alone. I don't have a good enough lawyer. So yeah, I I like I like your list. I think that Jamal Crawford, while underrated, has definitely had very sporadic times. Sometimes he's the best scorer in the NBA. Sometimes he's just an afterthought. Yeah, he's just an afterthought yeah. when it comes to it. Zebo for sure. I would say I would go as far as to say he was the most important player on those on those Grizzlies teams in the early 2010 years with Marcus and and Conley. He was the most important out of all of them just because of what he was able to do for them. So I think those are two big, big names. Tony Allen too. I mean, he was just, he was a lockdown artist. He'll just, he'll guard your best player and he doesn't give a shit. He's like, if Marcus Smart was less annoying, it's Tony Allen. But Marcus Smart is very annoying. So he's not Tony Allen. And Tony Allen didn't flop like a child. So those are good picks. I'm going to go through mine also. I would say for me, the first person that I want to talk about and uh, I, I, we we talked about him before the show because one of us has to have him on one of our lists, and that's Kevin Johnson. He was the point guard for anybody who doesn't know, and it's crazy how you probably don't know who he is because he wasn't really the biggest name. But he was the point guard on those Phoenix Suns teams that had eventually Charles Barkley and and made it to that finals where they lost to the Bulls. 
And he, where you might not have known who he was, his career averages are 18 and 9. And he only made it to three All-Star games. Now, he does have a few All-NBA teams under his belt. I think he has four second teams. And for that to be to say that means that he was the second best point guard in the NBA in like the early 90s and the late 80s. So he's a he's ahead of the likes of, you know, probably like a, an Isaiah Thomas or a John Stockton or those types of names. But the fact that his name faded to obscurity the way that it did, I, I don't really know how it happened. I really don't. He made it to a finals. You know, he didn't he he lost to the Bulls. It was a pretty big team that he lost to. I don't it surprises me how he faded so hard, but he did, and so that's why he is Number one on my list here. I, I do believe he is in the Hall of Fame, though, so I think he got he got his in the end. Uh, second up is another Johnson, and that's Dennis Johnson, who was the lockdown point guard, off-guard type player on those Celtics teams in the 80s. Passed away at a very young age. I think he was, he was 50 a few years ago. He's a Hall of Famer as well, but what people don't know about Dennis Johnson, the man made it to five All-Star games. Averaged about 14 and 6 in his career, was probably, if not the best, one of the best perimeter defensive players of all time. And, and a lot of people who, don't, who haven't seen him play, the only thing that a lot of people know about him is when Larry Bird got his iconic steal in the finals that one year, he passed it off to Dennis Johnson, who laid it up, and that's how the, how the Celtics won the championship. So like that's an iconic photo of him and a video of him, but he did so much for that team. He was one of the catalysts on that team. And another one of those catalysts is coming up here. I'm not going to talk about him right now, but I'm going to go into someone else first. And that name, if you can't tell, I'm doing a lot of older names because I feel like some of these guys were very good in their in their heyday, but they lost all of their recognition as time goes on. And that's what happens a lot of times. But I think a lot of these guys deserve recognition as an underrated player because of one, who they played with, two, the time frame that they at which they played, and three, maybe what they were able to actually accomplish when it came to rings and championships and, and stuff like that. Number three I have here is Gail Goodrich, who was the uh, he was the second fiddle on those early '70s Lakers teams, right next to Jerry West, an old old Jerry West. He was kind of the next guy up after Jerry West was gone. He played with Wilt in the beginning. For his career, he averaged 18 and five, and he also made it to, to five All Star games. So Gail Goodrich, very very undersized shooting guard. He was a great shooter for his time. Very fantastic player. I believe that he deserves some recognition here too. Good chance that y'all don't even know who he is. So that's why I think that he deserves some recognition. Another one up here is Mark Eaton, who is the center, was the center on the Utah Jazz in the 80s. He was there for the early Malone and, and, and Pip and uh, Stockton years. So he was the center on those teams. He was probably if not the best one of the best interior defensive players ever he was a specialist on the inside he actually holds the record to this day for blocks in a game for a season he averaged five over five blocks a game for an entire year he was seven foot four so like obviously he fucking should be doing that but you see a lot of guys who have the height who don't do those do that especially in today's nba so he I feel belongs here average three and a half blocks for his career per game. So he belongs there as well. Cause people also don't know who he is. One other name here. There's a couple other ones that I wanted to, to mention. Number one is Ben Wallace because he won four a defensive player of the years throughout his career. Ben Wallace, you know, I only kid like it's, it's, it, I hate to say it, 
But like when I think of Ben Wallace, I just think of the malice of the palace. I, that's the only thing I can think about. Yeah, well, he he's yeah. about that life, bro. He'll fuck you up. He doesn't care. He's about he's from he's, he's about from, that he's from that shit. He doesn't give a shit. You know, Ben, ben Wallace. <laughs> was, he was a he was a gangster. He's fuck. He was Literally a scary right. motherfucker, man. I mean, you he was listed at six nine, but if you want to tell me that man was six nine, I'm gonna tell you that's with the afro and everything, because he was not six nine. He was probably about six seven and a half, six eight with shoes on, and he was averaging over three blocks a game some years. He averaged two point seven in the season where they won the championship. You know, he won Defensive Players of the Year, and and Marker Logan, you guys can dispute me on this, but I feel like he was the most important player on that Pistons championship team. I, I think that goes without saying. I, I, yeah, you know. I was just I was just gonna bring that up. When I look at playoffs specifically, I, I usually have this rule about football, but sometimes it could be basketball. It really isn't the best team who wins. It's it's the hottest team. You look at that finals, they were going up against the fucking Lakers team that had Kobe and Shaq. No one gave that piston team a shot. And they fucking beat them. You look at that team and they were just so well put together, start to bottom. But you also forget they had Chauncey Billups, who was Really fucking good. Yeah, that's what I was just gonna say. That he's the facilitator on those teams, and yeah, like, had to be Chauncey. Had to be Chauncey. As, as great as Ben Wallace was, you just it wasn't enough well, of a difference. Like the, those Spurs teams, where like Duncan was clearly the guy over Parker. I felt like Billups was like the guy on those. Teams. I I agree on offense. He was because he facilitated. He also averaged over fifteen a game for pretty much his entire career. Rasheed Wallace was also really good on that offense. He was, you know, younger Rasheed Wallace, who was definitely uh, performing at a high level at that time. Why I say that Ben Wallace was the most important player on that team is because how the NBA was at that point. Because the NBA in the mid-2000s was defense, all defense. Look at the finals. Look at the scores. You're seeing 75 to 70 final, you know, final scores, which is fucking halftime scores today. It was all about yeah. defense. It was all about the lockdown artists. And the only teams that were able to put up 100-plus were teams like the Lakers. And why were they able to do that? Because when Kobe's not hot, the Shaq is. And you needed someone to stop Shaq. And if you have someone that stops Shaq, this is where Larry Brown's a genius. He had someone to stop Shaq. And Ben Wallace, who was giving up about four inches to Shaquille O'Neal, locked him down the entire fucking series and forced Kobe to take a bunch of bad shots. And if it's not for Ben Wallace on that team, they don't have someone to stop Shaquille O'Neal. And he and he does what he did to everybody else to them. And that's why I think that without him, they don't even come close. They can win a finals. They can win a championship, potentially, removing any of those other guys. But if you take away Ben Wallace, he is the glue that tied it together when it came to defense. And that's, I mean, that's, that's why I say it. It's just who they played and how they played them. You know, and I, and I think that, that, the the Cha- the Chauncey recognition is important. Who sh- by the way, he he has a place on this list too. Not mine, and I don't think any of your guys is. But he was definitely like on my like big list to to actually you know be here. But uh, the last one up for me is Kevin McHale. Very similar to your Scotty take, Logan. Kevin McHale is probably the a top five power forward ever. One of the best big men had probably the biggest arsenal of post moves of anyone i mean really really anyone ever he he was able to oh, hit come you on, bro who who the fuck bro, who? i thought who timmy d okay where do you think timmy d got timmy his moves d. from 
Who you think he watched? Listen, fucking Mikhail Amy had Robinson. an up and under. He had an up and under hook shot both <laughs> hands. He could hit you with a turnaround. He could hit you with an up and under when it came to just a scoop shot. He had, you know, he had a, a fadeaway. He had all of the different moves in, in the post, and he could do them very well. Now, the reason why we don't know that is because who was the star on his team? It was one of the two best players of the decade, Larry one Bird. of the ten best players Larry of all Bird. time. So there's no way that we're going to talk about Kevin Mikhail like that. You know, and I agree with you, by the way. I love Timmy D and I love his moves, but I just think Kevin deserves that kind of recognition and he doesn't get it because of Larry Bird. And I think that he he's in the Hall of Fame. He has all of the accolades. He has the championships. He has, you know, the all-star games and all of those things, but it's just a little bit lower, very similar, like you said, to, to Scottie Pippen in, the, in those types of takes where it's not as high because of who he played with. And my current player, the one that I, I really love to watch, I think that he is one of the most entertaining players of the NBA right now. He is for sure probably the fastest player in the NBA right now, and, and that's De'Aaron Fox. I think that the, He's good. Yeah, the, He's good. the issue with playing for the Kings is that no one cares. <laughs> you know, it's like they haven't cared since 2000. Ever since that, that Chris Webber Kings team broke up, no one gives a shit about them anymore. And it's not, it's not necessarily fair, but it's just kind of what's happening. But the Kings are playing very well, and, and the big reason for that is De'Aaron Fox. And he is he is probably a top, uh, I, I don't know, I haven't done an inventory of point guards, so I'm going to say top 10 just to be safe, a top 10 point guard in the NBA right now. You know, average 20 a game this season, still hasn't broken through to an all-star game, but I think that he definitely deserves it at this point. But we'll see. I mean, he's still young. I think he's only 23 at this point. That speed's not going anywhere. He stays relatively healthy. He's been the main guy on a Kings team that seems to be getting a little better year by year. So maybe that's going to become something. So, I mean, I think De'Aaron Fox is probably, if not, yeah, he's the most underrated player, at least to me right now. You could also make a case for like Sabonis, but uh, De'Aaron Fox for sure. Middleton also is up there, but I don't think he is anymore because Jan is kind of hyping him up, but... Yeah, I mean, what do you any any takes on that? You guys, you guys think it, that was stupid? Any any of them were were like a, a, like a shut up Nick kind of kind of take? <laughs> you know, ju- ju- just for the listeners, if you want to just recap the list one more time, and then I'll dig into you. So I had initially Kevin Johnson, then I had Dennis Johnson. I think I actually had more than five, by the way. I then <laughs> talked about Gail Goodrich, Mark Eaton, and Ben Wallace. That actually is exactly five. Oh. And then I also talk about Kevin Kales. That's six, and then uh, and then De'Aaron Fox as my as my right now player. I mean, you know, I don't want to disagree with any of those players because I think you nailed them all. But I, you know, to call Kevin McHale underrated, like he gets hella recognition. So Scotty, uh, so I mean, so Scotty gets a ton. Yeah, of yeah, but Scotty was treated like shit from like his own organization, and that doesn't mean he's McHale. underrated. That means that they made a good, they made a business decision not to pay him. I think underrated comes in the form of you know how people perceive them, and we do perceive Scotty less than he was because of how good Jordan was. I mean, he was the second player picked on on the dream team. You know, Chuck Daly picked him number two after Jordan because of how good he was. So like we know how good he was. I just think that he was underrated. But I think that Kevin McHale was by the exact same token underrated for the exact same reason. That's true. I just want to touch on um, one of the guys you brought up made me think of somebody because, I mean, I like the Mark Eaton pick a lot because there was a time where, I mean, he couldn't score for shit, but um, he did put in some work. Being an all-time jazz player, it made me think, how did none of us mention Darren Williams? 
Because mm. Darren mm-hmm. Williams is a guy who absolutely, like, when I look at my childhood, was fucking disgusting when he was on the Utah Jazz. And we we look at that terrible contract with the Nets where he kind of, like, disappeared a little bit as the the real the real Darren Williams. But when he was with the Jazz, dude, and that's another name you could bring up is Carlos Boozer. He was on those teams, and he was phenomenal, a double-double machine. Too. Those are just some guys that I sort of popped in my head when I thought of Eaton and the Jazz. And the other guy that I was surprised nobody had brought up as their current player because I thought about doing it, but I'm curious whether you guys think he gets the recognition he deserves at this point because he has been in trade talks for so long. But that's Bradley Beal. Bradley Beal is – I saw this stat when T.J. Warren put up his numbers that the NBA just broke the record for a single season, 50-plus point games for non-All-Stars. And I was reading the list, and one of the names is Bradley Beal. And once again, I find myself going, how was he not an All-Star? Like, it's just – he's a guy that is, without a doubt, a top 15, 20 player in the NBA. And yet, I don't even know – what does he have, one All-Star? I'm pretty sure he literally made, if I remember correctly, he literally made one all-star team because somebody got hurt, if I remember that. Yeah, he has been dis- he's been familiar. straight up disrespected. You know, he, he is now that Wizards team. When it's good for him. I think it's because he's squandering away on a shitty contract. But I, I guess we'll see as, as it goes along. We'll see. I think it's going to really come down to how does he play when John Wall comes back, if John Wall comes back at this point. But like, how does he play in, in that situation? Is he still going to be as good as he was, you know? And then I'll call him underrated because if you have, if you're like really good on a shitty team, I don't really care. <laughs> That's just how how it goes. Sharif Abdurrahim averaged twenty like two a game a bunch. Remember Al Harrington? No. Oh yeah. He was on the Hawks when yeah. they sucked dick. Or how about Al Al Jefferson right. was an all, a a great fucking big man. You know he didn't win. I mean, he was there's good guys- Al Jefferson. Really good. I mean, I had some guys on my honorable mention list who are exactly that story right there. And like a guy like Spencer Dinwiddie, who now, I mean, the Nets are getting a little bit better, but with Kyrie there, he's losing a lot of the spotlight. And that's a really good fucking player. The other name I wanted to discuss a little bit because I know I had heard from Nick some questions on this name, but of that Darren Williams era, what do we think about Monte Ellis? Because he was... He was a, a really, really good scorer, but he had some attitude issues. Yeah, he always had a little bit of an issue with his mouth. It got him in trouble a lot. I, I liked Monte Ellis. I thought that he was he was a really good bucket getter for a really average team. And I, mm-hmm. I, it was very interesting when he came to the Warriors after a few years. Now we have like Steph and Monte Ellis. And when the trade talks were happening with the Bucks, they were like, you got to give us either Steph or Monte Ellis, and they were genuinely considering giving them Steph Curry, which to us today is hilarious, you know. But back then mm-hmm. it was like, yeah, we don't really want to give up Monte. We might actually give them Steph Curry instead. Monte Ellis in his prime was averaging easily over twenty a game. I think he had a season over twenty five a game when he was the the primary scorer on that team with David Lee. You know, and, and Steven Jackson. And Steven Jackson, and they they had a, a relatively good team, and they could they got a lot of they got they got themselves to like a six seven eight seed. He was on the We Believes, I think, right? I believe so. Maybe, maybe. even no, I th- yeah, maybe it was Baron Davis on the team, but ultimately 
Monte Ellis, I think, is properly rated, in my opinion. I think we talk about him just enough. I don't think that he's necessarily like deserving of of underrated status because that means that like he should be put on a, a little higher pedestal than he is. But it's not it's not that he's he was bad. It's just that I don't think he was better than I think he, than we think he is. You know, I I think the problem with Monte Ellis here is that he played on a Warriors team that wasn't necessarily the greatest, and therefore he also played on Golden State when it really wasn't like a huge landing spot. Wasn't a huge market. They didn't get a lot of attention. Yeah, I think that Montellus was a great player. I think he's exciting. But I think Nick's kind of right here in terms of you can't really call him underrated because he, you know, he he was getting attention. He just he was getting Golden State region attention and like Utah attention. Now I just had one more one last name pop into my head because I'm a little upset for not mentioning it. And this is something I think everyone needs to make a conscious effort of realizing the situation that made him the forgotten man. And that is DeMar DeRozan. Because DeMar DeRozan built that Toronto city. He took over the team from that Vince Carter era that really brought a fan base to Toronto and got completely fucked out of their championship. I mean, yes, Kawhi brought it to them, but like watching him have to go to San Antonio and that deal was heartbreaking when he was the heart and soul of that team. And Kyle Lowry just sat there and made out. So DeMar DeRozan, I think, is going to go down as an all-time underrated player. Yeah, he's just not a champion. He didn't have a killer. He didn't have the killer instincts. Or he did the same way as Kawhi, except Kawhi didn't have to run into LeBron in the, in the playoffs every year. So, like, you know, there's that There's that aspect. Who, who really knows? What would Kawhi do against LeBron? We don't, we don't know that yet in the playoffs. We know he would probably lock LeBron up pretty well. It's kind of what he does. But I think DeMar does get a bad rap, but I think in 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 Toronto he is kind of heralded as a hero. You know, and he he was he was considered an afterthought in that Kawhi trade because of how big Kawhi moving was. But today I th- I believe that that we see him performing at a relatively high level in San Antonio and he's only 30 or 29 like he's not really that old he's got some years left and and Aldrich is has got a couple years left on him on his and you know for himself too so who knows it's they're not really a a, a great dynamic but it's something and I liked DeMar DeRozan I think that he was a great scorer and I remember watching him play at Compton High I didn't watch him live obviously because I'm afraid of Compton but I saw videos of it and he was a high flyer at that point. He was a high flyer at USC. I didn't really think he was going to be a great NBA player, but he turned into one, and, and, and he did that himself, you know, very similarly to Jimmy Butler. So there's a lot to be said about DeMar DeRozan. But, yeah, I think you, had, you have some great takes there, Mark, and some, some guys who are in the NBA right now that we really don't look at like that, and I think TJ Warren is just one of many who can go off like this. But we'll see because, I mean, Warren's doing it again. He did it again and today, and they got the Magic next game, so maybe he'll do it again because they suck. They don't really have anyone to guard him, and he's getting all the shots. But that being said, I think that is enough out of me. Uh, you guys had your last episode. You just recorded it, and you got another one coming up here too soon, huh? Yeah, featuring our special guest, Nicholas Nasby. Fantastic. You guys have any idea what we're going to be talking about, or are we just going to shoot the shit definitely <laughs> definitely nba bubble playoff predictions we're gonna probably break down a lot of matchups but i don't want to give a lot away 
Yeah, and also, I mean, like, there's time between no. now and then for games to happen. So, you know, we'll see if anything crazy happens in that in that window. Yeah, the real question is whether we're even going to be having an MLB season to talk about by then because it things it's just look ugly, man. Baseball's fun. ugly right now. Like, they do not like Manfred. I don't like Manfred. I, don't. I think that he's fucking up. But Manfred's butt cheeks. Yeah, Manfred he's the worst commissioner. He's, the, he's, he's worse than Goodell. I didn't think I would huh. ever be able to say that about anybody. Right? I don't. I didn't think that's, that. That's impressive. That's impressively bad, you know. But we'll see. Because I mean, honestly, you know, Ioannis Suspedes no call, no showed the Mets, and then just like quit. So, you know, yeah. I don't. We'll see. I mean, this is it's downhill from here. Why the fuck would they play? I know o- Odell just said that um, if they don't do a bubble, then they they should cancel the season, or if they should just cancel the season because they don't care about them as humans. And I'll be straight up with you. I I agree with him. I don't think the NFL gives a fuck about their players. That's why I love the NBA. It's because of how they treat the players and what they do. So, you know, as long all we know, and I think that you guys can agree with me on this, all I know is that the NBA is gonna work. The season's gonna for sure yes. finish the way that they started it. They're going to have a championship. They're going to have a finals. And it's gonna be amazing and we're all gonna get to watch it while baseball's floundering in popularity and for COVID also and, and football, we don't even know. And I, I doubt there's really going to be a season because these owners don't want to do no capacity because it's against their protocols or whatever. So we'll talk about that more on your show. But that being said, I'm going to put the details for their episode and for their show in the episode details here. So if anybody wants to check that out, you can read about it. You can check it out there. Also, if you liked it, if you think it was good, Leave a five-star review. If you didn't like it, I don't know. I don't know what the fuck to tell you at this point. I don't know why you're, we're 19 episodes in and you're just telling me that now. I would have quit a long time ago, you piece of shit. God damn it. <laughs> anyway, that being said, I'm done talking. If you're not ugly, stay beautiful. I'm going to keep saying that because I really don't know what it means, but it sounds like a good catchphrase. I'm going to keep it. So that being said, see you guys next week. I'm out. <laughs>